Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul Casey, and I'm joined by a brand new guest today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, sir? How you guys doing? My name is Pat Cash. Uh, Pat and I met at Lost 2017. We actually we had a very uh, interesting meeting because <laughs> it the fir- the very first memory I have has absolutely nothing to do with Lost. I don't know if you remember this. I was standing <laughs> I was standing outside of I want to say it was the Hilton, probably waiting for Jake or somebody else. And uh, people know I'm a I'm a wrestling fan, and I see this guy walking by with a wrestling shirt, and I was just like, and I'll say it to any if it's a band I like or anything, I'll often tell people like, hey, I like that shirt, or I like whatever, and I'm just like, hey man, I like that shirt. And uh, it was just like, you know, hey, thanks or whatever. And then a few hours later or whatever, we went to Dharmaville and there's this guy. And I'm like, that's so weird. Yeah, it was funny. I And I even like I was with my fiance at the time and I had said like, I was like, I love like bumping into other wrestling fans because they're always so like, I guess like enthused and always kind of like greet themselves or make a comment and i love that happening and it was just so funny that it happened to be like we're in hawaii and then we end up being at lost come together it was awesome yeah um okay so i gotta ask you some of the standard questions i ask every first time guest how'd you get into lost why'd you get into lost and how did you find out about lost 2017 so i um got into lost actually when it was initially on tv um my uh girlfriend at the time actually got me into it uh early and i kind of just even when things went south with her i continued to watch um because i was completely hooked on it um i just i fell so in love with the uh interest intricacy of the show and the storytelling of the show and the many angles and layers it was like something that i had never uh seen before on on tv and i still think it's yet to be replicated in the way that um lost did it so i i was immediately hooked i continued to rewatch the entire show every single year and um you know for me it was like you know i went through a lot of stuff in life and within that show, every character goes through their own, um, issues. You get their backstory and kind of their coming of age idea when they're, you know, on, on the Island, a lot of people experience breakthroughs and everything like that. And it just meant a lot to me to kind of be able to get that kind of feeling from a TV show. Um, so I, I don't know if you remember, obviously my entire, uh, right arm is covered in lost tattoos. Um, so it, it obviously means a lot to me. Uh, it's something that I will never forget. And I constantly try to get people that haven't watched the show to watch the show. So I, th- I think it's obviously fantastic. That's awesome. So, okay. So if you were, and I, I okay, this is going to come out wrong and I, and I apologize in advance for some reason. I don't know. How to, I don't know how to word this question so that it doesn't sound snotty. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, as such a big fan why why lost 2017 and not lost 2014 when a bunch of us went the first time so i didn't even know it existed i so i um started getting tattoos um 
from the show, obviously. And I had actually stumbled across it while looking for like different lost symbol, like symbolism from the show. So I was on the internet, like, you know, going through the depths of Google and everything and, and lost. And I'm sitting there putting all this stuff together. And I ended up finding this link for something called the lost con. And I was like, what the hell is this? And, um, I click it and then it kind of just like opened up that, and I had no idea it existed before. And I was like, Oh my God, like this exists. And I immediately told my fiance, like, like, could you believe this? And then 20, I, that was in 2015. So I, 2014 had already happened and I had just started following them on Twitter. Like I think right when you guys had uh, gotten back from 2014, so then I found out about it, and the next one that was available, we ended up going. So it's awesome. Okay, I mean, like I said, uh, we were talking about it before we we started, and uh, we talked, and you know, we said mostly about wrestling there. But uh, I mean, basically, uh, I've said it before on this show. Like one of the great things that I that I love about meeting so many fellow Lost fans is like we all love this show, and it all means such a great deal to us. But there's also so many other things that you can like become like you and I, like we, we have the yeah. lost thing, but then we also share, like we can talk about wrestling and presumably yeah. other stuff. Uh, you know, like I have that with a bunch of other people. So I just love that even though, you know, a lot of people look at it and say like, Oh, it's just a TV show or whatever. We often say on this show, it's an experience like For the sure. show, just the, 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 like you said, the layers to it and everything, but even just finding other friends. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, like I I've, I've met other people and I actually like, I'll be out somewhere now. And you know, if someone sees my tattoos, I've actually had many people like come up to me and be like, Oh my God, I love that show. And you know, we have like conversations about it and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'd like to, I like to think that I've watched the show enough to have an extremely strong grasp on what happened. And, you know, um, it's awesome to get other people's perspectives about the way that show unfolded, you know, cause everyone has a, a different perspective on certain things. So it's definitely nice. I like being able to have that bond with, uh, people who initially start off as complete strangers. And then, you know, some of them turn into, turn into friends, which is awesome. Absolutely. So today we are going to be discussing the episode Left Behind. Not necessarily a big one on a lot of people's uh, lists. Uh, when I was going through it, I was like, okay, you know, it's, it's kind of in the middle. I've said many times in the past, the season three, this kind of stretch of episodes, not really that big. Of, like I, I've mentioned it before, Stranger in a Strange Land, my absolute least favorite episode. <laughs> Expose, not so big on that. Like there's, you know, Man from Tallahassee is great, whatever. This one, it's kind of in the middle. It's okay, but not near the greatest what do you think yeah i agree with you i feel like this is one of those episodes it's more of a a setup kind of episode where it's uh allowing just the storytelling to kind of unfold into some bigger things and continue some uh smaller things about certain characters that are kind of threaded throughout the show i think it's more of a continuation of that kind of stuff that allows for some of the bigger things that happen in uh, season three and throughout the rest of the show. So I, I would definitely agree with you. It's, you know, nothing that blew me away, but it's definitely, uh, it was, it was in the middle. Like you said, it was, it was solid. Right. If we don't have anything else, I'll just get started reading the notes. Sure. Okay. You jump right into it. Uh, we start out 
in the game room at Dharmaville with Kate still being held captive. Out the window, she sees someone approaching and gets ready to attack. As the door opens, she swings a pool cue at the person, who it turns out is Juliet, but Juliet dodges it and takes Kate down. She tells Kate she was just bringing her a sandwich and sarcastically tells her to enjoy it. The food and Kate are left on the floor as Juliet leaves. Um, this is, I've actually talked about this before. I would love to get your perspective on this. The others having this sort of, uh, I don't want to say martial arts background, but it just seems like all of them are ready for a fight all the time. Always. I I was literally going to say the same thing. Like, this is where you find out that Juliet's actually a ninja. Um, (laughs) Because... Where Kate was swinging that pool cue, like, it it was just, it would have been so difficult for someone to actually see it, and she just turns it in and just kind of flips Kate, and, you know, Kate ends up on her back, and you're right, though, like, Ethan, all of them, they were all very, uh, like, they were expertises when it came to all of that stuff, martial arts, tracking, everything like that, so, um, yeah, I I think it's something that they just kind of learn and can uh, practice while they're there. I feel like that's something that isn't really mentioned or, you know, explained in the show. But I think when you see everyone having all of these different abilities, it's kind of, uh, I would at least assume that it's something that they uh, require or, you know, uh, teach in order for them to take care of themselves. Yeah, I feel like when they take, like, like Cindy and the kids, like, when they take them, there's, like, multiple classes. Like, day one, Jacob, we worship him. <laughs> day two, how to, uh, how to, uh, hide your, your trail in the jungle. Day three, martial arts. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? It's kind of funny, but, like, later in the show, when you have, like, everyone going to Darwinville for the first time, I, I was kind of almost expecting, like, little hints towards some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It was actually, it's kind of funny because I was literally thinking the exact same thing. In flashback, Kate is standing by a car on the side of the road as the car is being lifted by a tow truck. The driver tries talking with her, but she's only interested in how long it'll take. And I wrote, classic Kate always trying to run away. <laughs> The driver tells her that it'll take two or three days for a new fan belt, which uh, she finds hard to believe, but he tells her that this is Iowa. He introduces himself as Johnny, and she introduces herself as Lucy. Yeah, I mean, this is classic Kate. I mean, it really is. This is, even when she's on the island, she um, shows a lot of, like, time issues, um, things not being done right away. Even when people, you know, you'll even see it when people tell her not to do something or, you know, she's very, uh, she just has that attitude where like, if she's so headstrong about it, it has to get done and it has to get done on her watch. Um, so I, I felt, you know, I felt like it was just kind of continuing, uh, the kind of character that she is, you know, it's more of her backstory that we got to, we started to see in this episode, but she, um, there's definitely something that's been, being threaded through the entire show, like right from the beginning with her. All right. So I have to ask you, I ask a lot of people this, uh, fan of Kate or not a fan of Kate as a character overall. Uh, overall, not a, not a fan. No, you have the, you have what, what we call the Kate hate. You have the Kate. Yeah. Hate. <laughs> yeah. A, a little bit. I just, you know what it is? She just, uh, 
I feel like she just can't ever understand that there's another side to whatever's happening. So if it's not her way, uh, she tends to usually have an issue with it or she has to inject herself into certain situations she may not necessarily need to be a part of. Um, so that kind of like turns me off about her, uh, you know, she's stubborn and headstrong, which I am as well. So, I mean, I get it, but I feel like it's very much to a fault when it comes to Kate. I gotcha. It's funny because like a lot of that, that's one of the reasons that I don't like Jack is the fact that he can never seem to find like a nut layer. He can't ever find common ground with anyone. It's always his way or, you know, you're wrong basically. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. I completely get that vibe as well. (laughs) A bit later, as they arrive at the garage, she sees a woman trying to sell some jewelry. It's actually Cassidy, previously seen in Sawyer's flashbacks. She's trying to convince the man that the jewelry is real, but he's not believing it. Johnny tells Kate he can take her into town in about an hour, as the man Cassidy's trying to scam yells for someone to call the cops. Kate looks worried at this statement for a moment. Cassidy, Johnny, and the man get into a conversation where the man wants the cops called, and uh, Kate keeps, uh, or I'm sorry, and she keeps, Cassidy keeps insisting that the man doesn't have to buy them. After a bit of this, Kate looks over and asks Cassidy to see the jewelry, claiming her father owns a jewelry store and can spot a fake. Cassidy tells her, uh, however much, I don't remember the exact amount, for the one on the end, but the man still isn't believing any of it. The man and Johnny leave before Cassidy and Kate begin to part ways as well, but Kate follows Cassidy and, when no one else is watching, asks for the money back. Cassidy hesitantly gives it back to her before asking Kate why she helped her. Kate shrugs and says it was just one girl helping another girl out. Cassidy knows this is a lie and realizes Kate is stranded and didn't want the cops called, and she offers Kate a ride into town. I like that scene, actually. I don't know. I mean, you know, I I, I don't think a lot of people like the Cassidy character, mostly because they like the Sawyer character. So they're Mm -hmm. just like, oh, you know, she's, you know, oh, she she sprang the fact that there's a daughter on him and all this other stuff. I actually like that scene because that's just like that's one of those things where it's just like two badass chicks like looking out for each other. Yeah. And I think it it enters a dynamic where, um, you, you know, there's a lot of times in the show where we get other characters, you know, in the background or crossing over before they really knew each other or extended parts like, you know, Jack's father in in this sense, Cassidy. Um, I love that about this show. I, I love scenes like that just in general, regardless of who's in them, because it just continues to add those layers to the show. And it's always little things. This one's a little more obvious. Sometimes you got to pick somebody out like in the background or something, but, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this it, one, it shows Kate a little bit more who Kate is, you know, just kind of, she spots it. She bails, bails Cassidy out kind of deal. Um, you know, it just continues to show what, uh, like what Kate's character is about. And Cassidy, you know, is ca- trying to do the con by herself, kind of trying to get that confidence that she lost since Sawyer, you know, took all of her money, you know? I think it also gives Kate the chance in the in the episode overall. I think it gives Kate the chance to kind of have somebody because almost every episode, except for uh, what was the guy's name, Tom, the <laughs> the guy that she, she you know she blames his death on on herself. 
almost every other episode, she's by herself or she's conning someone else into helping her. Like when she was, you know, trying to get the the little plane or whatever, she actually gets like a friend in this episode, I think. So I I actually kind of like that because it it gives her, even if the person is a con con woman herself, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it gives her the chance to just have a natural, even if she never tells her, you know, she doesn't tell her her name, her real name until the end of the episode or whatever. It just gives her the chance to have this thing of like, I can kind of almost be myself right now. I don't have to lie to her or anything else. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think that was not a side of Kate we hadn't seen, but kind of, you know, kind of in a way it was definitely something like, you know, we're not used to seeing Kate play nice with others. In a sense, so right. it was, you know, it was, it was nice to kind of see that a little bit, even if it was just for, you know, an episode or you know the flashbacks of the episode. So, right. Back in the game room on the island, Kate is still by herself. Someone enters behind her, and upon hearing his voice say her name, she realizes that it's Locke. She's surprised and happy to see him, but only for a moment. She asks if he was captured, and he says he was, but only temporarily, and he came to tell her goodbye. She's confused, and he says he's leaving with them, the others. Her confusion grows, and, and she asks if he's brainwashed. She asks where Jack went, and her anger just continues to grow more. He tells her Jack didn't go anywhere, and that he has to stay behind, just like Kate. Kate insists that John can't trust them, and that they're lying to him with whatever they promised, including going home. He tells her that he doesn't want to go home. And I actually think, I think that's one of the first times he's ever actually told anybody that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, for me, I'm a, I'm a lock guy. You can say, um, he's definitely one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, you know, but if I had to pick team, team Jack or team lock, I, I would pick lock. I think lock just is, um, you know, when he, He's telling Kate, like, you know, I'm, I'm going with them. This is what I think starts the – it was inevitable, the snowball between, you know, Jack versus Locke. But this this is the big milestone of, of Locke really stepping into his own and uh, following the island's path. And, you know, this part of season three, not just specifically this episode, but this part of season three is where everything really starts to kind of kick off. Yeah, we haven't really seen that sort of dynamic, the Locke versus Jack uh, thing, really since season one. I think after everything went down with the beginning of season two with the Hatch, then it was just, you know, they're like they were they they fought, you know, especially because of Boone dying and all that sort of stuff. And then they went into the Hatch and they had a little bit of an argument about who was, you know, why do we have to push the button? And then once Jack you know, decided to, to help with that. They sort of bonded. I mean, yeah, they had like little squabbles and things, but I think it hasn't, like you said, it's, this is a turning point. It's taken, I think this long for them to be like, okay, you know, we're really going to ramp up. It's the two of them against each other again. Yeah, exactly. I think this is what I think really starts the, that path. You see it more and more now throughout the show, but it's, it's more prevalent from, you know, it starts with the submarine, obviously, but, you know, this is where everything gets very drastic between the two of them, and it continues throughout the rest of season three, where they literally pick teams on the island. Well, so, yeah, because I mean, it's, you know, it's always been 
ever since they found out about the concept of the others, it's always been us, the survivors, versus them, the others. And now when one of them is seemingly willingly going with, you know, the others, yeah, they stole people and whatever. And, you know, you could argue that they were brainwashed. Locke is a pretty level-headed guy. Jack wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but he's a pretty level-headed guy. So if he's choosing to go with them, the enemy, whatever term you want to use, that's a huge betrayal, I think, at least from the perspective of the survivors. For sure. And I think that's what, you know, Jack, Jack, I think, not that it's just, you know, displayed in the show, but I feel that that's more of like an ego blow to Jack in a sense. Jack's always been kind of this, not self-proclaimed leader, but the guy that everyone kind of looked to. And I think that when people want to do their own thing, I almost think that Jack would like take offense to it because it wasn't his idea or his way of thinking. You know, we saw that with when they moved inland for the waterfall, you had a lot of people that were very against it. Um, But this is, in my opinion, the real big like breaking point for what takes place in the rest of season three that carries out throughout the rest of the show with, with Locke and Jack. So um, as small as this scene is, and as little as Locke had to say, it definitely kind of, you realize that that separation was starting. You just didn't know how bad it was going to uh, get or turn. But you knew Locke was going to do his own thing because once Locke makes his mind up, you know, with something like this, he's that's his, his destiny. That's what he's supposed to do. So, um, you know, very, very telling part of the episode as far as Locke's uh, future, I would say. Right. He then goes on to tell Kate that he fought for her, telling the others that she's a good person, but then they told him who she really was and what she'd done, and forgiveness isn't one of their strong suits. He goes for the door before she goes to him and asks where he's going, but he ignores her and yells that he's coming out, which I thought was very... uh, Similar to Ana Lucia in the pit in season two. I thought it was kind of weird that they kind of brought that back. Yep. Uh, She then asks him where Jack, Saeed, and Danielle are, and he simply shakes his head before she asks what happened to him, and he says that he's sorry before he leaves. Back on the beach, Hurley walks past Sawyer and kicks his foot. Sawyer asks what's wrong with him, and Hurley, who's facing away from Sawyer, tells him not to look at him and pretend they're not talking because he isn't even supposed to be there. Sawyer tells him to leave before Hurley tells him that he should know there's about to be a vote tomorrow. After Sawyer asks, Hurley tells him this vote is to decide whether to banish Sawyer or not. Sawyer's shocked, and Hurley says if it passes, the consensus is to send him half a mile down the beach. He then tells him there's a way he could possibly fix this, make amends, but Sawyer says that he doesn't do that. Hurley reminds him of all the positives that come with being part of their group. He can't feed himself, he uses their bathroom set up, their water, and uh, so much more. Sawyer then interrupts him and brings up the fact that he can't use nicknames before going on to insult Hurley by saying generic things like calling him rotund, annoying, and the fact that he's ruining his view. Hurley tells him this is a mistake before he leaves. Sawyer scoffs at the concept of being banished. Um... I got into the show late, as as people who listen to this often know. I didn't uh, get into the show until right before season five. I, uh, but it was basically before the concept of the binge watch. But I binge watched seasons one through four on ABC's website, and I definitely thought this was go. I mean, throughout the, just the episode, but I thought this was going to be a thing. I'm like, 
I would I could totally see them banishing Sawyer after everything that's happened the first, you know, two and a half seasons. I could <laughs> see them finally looking and saying like, yeah, and I could definitely see Hurley being the one because he's always trying to keep everybody together and keep everybody, you know, like keep things light and whatever. I could definitely see him being the one to say like, hey, just so you know, this is going to happen. You might want to change your ways. So I was totally like they conned me with this. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think the only thing that I was skeptical of was the fact that everyone else was gone and Sawyer was really the only, I don't want to say, you know, he was really the only remaining like badass left. You know, Saeed wasn't there. Locke wasn't there. Jack was gone. Kate was gone. So it kind of, that was the only thing that was peculiar to me, but I did think that they were going to have a vote. I did think that it was going to be something that was actually going to happen. I figured, um, you know, not giving too much away about the episode, I figured it would come down to a vote that it would be on Sawyer to change some hearts and minds. And, you know, I, I could definitely, like you said, I could definitely see them kind of booting him out for a little while and him having to do uh, different things to kind of get back in their, their graces. Um, so I, I definitely thought it was a possibility. I thought it would have been cool to see, um, you know, how he would have been by himself because, like you said, Harley was naming the benefits and there were all kind of things that Sawyer hadn't done by himself. You know, he'd gone out boar hunting prior when he had his whole little uh, episode with the boar um, and he didn't have it in him to kill, to kill the boar. And, you know, I, I couldn't see him doing that kind of stuff by himself. So I definitely thought it would have been an interesting angle for them to go with. So yeah. I like that scene though. I did like, I did like the back and forth. I think it just speaks to, the kind of person Hurley was throughout the whole show. Now, um, seeing as you you were there in Hawaii, uh, I don't know about you. I've talked about it with a few people who have been on here. Uh, this t- this last time, actually, I, I, I finally got to go to this beach camp. Did you get to go to the mm-hmm. beach camp while you were there? Yeah, we did. Um, and we a few of us were, were talking about it, and we said, like, it's so cool. I don't know if you get this feeling as well. You probably do. But you get that feeling of, like, you're looking at it, and you're just like, I was there. I yeah. stood, like, right, <laughs> you know, right there right where they there. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, It was cool. We got to see a bunch of different spots. But obviously that beach where the beach camp was, it, you know, taking – so much of the show where you're you're in that area uh it was definitely awesome to kind of just spend some time there it was beautiful there as well but it was it was awesome to spend that kind of time there after seeing so much of the show shot from that perspective yeah back at the barracks flies are buzzing around kate's sandwich which is still on the floor from earlier she's just laying on the ground staring at it before grabbing it and beginning to pick it apart She suddenly hears a noise outside. It's the others who are talking and quickly packing bags and putting gas masks on. A canister is then thrown into the room with gas coming out of it. She tries kicking it and covering her face, but this does nothing. The room is locked as it fills with the gas. She falls unconscious. We come to find out this is like a recurring thing with the others. Yeah, Yeah. this is kind of their way. Uh... You know, this is what they do kind of deal. Um, I did think it was, I was, I think, more interested to see if it was just her. But obviously, you know, they're saying that Locke had said that, you know, other people weren't going anywhere. But I, I was curious to see what happened after that point. You know, everyone's getting gassed and, you know, it's kind of like that little buildup of, 
like, okay, so she passed out. That means whoever else they gassed is probably passing out. What happens from here? What goes on from here? And that's why, like, in the beginning, I kind of called this, like, a little bit of a setup episode. I, I, I think it just kind of, like, started to open up some different areas that, that the show was going to go. Um, so it, it had me curious, at least. You know, I was I was kind of getting um, excited for what was going to come next, what was going to come next with the characters and what was going to happen with the others when they left. Right. See, that was I, – I've always been more of a fan of the mythology of the show. A lot of people – uh, they they like the show for different reasons, you know the the characters, and that's the one thing. And I, mm-hmm. I fully understand that perspective. And they've they, you know the the writers said that all the way up until the end. Like you know, if you're looking for mythology answers, at you know at the end of the series, like you're not really going to get them because the show has always been about the characters. When I was getting into the show, I was never really. I mean, yeah, the characters were there, and it was nice to have you know the the steady you know Jack Locke, all of them, and these are characters that grew, and we got to see them learn different things or whatever i was always more interested in the mythology of the show and the others in particular because they had built them up so much so at this point i don't know about you i was definitely like you know i was a little upset because i knew the others were taking off and because Locke was going with them i knew eventually we would get to find out a little bit about it but i was like okay this is a kate episode and I probably, I don't remember, but I was looking on like Wikipedia and Lostpedia trying not to spoil myself too much, mm-hmm. but I probably looked at the next few episodes and was like, okay, you know, not somebody, not, so, you know, like basically waiting to see when we would get like a Juliet episode or a Ben yeah. episode or a Locke episode so that we could focus on the others because that's the story I was more interested in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm like kind of in a weird situation, not situation but i love the characters i love the background and the layers of the characters but the mythology is also something that i'm like huge into um like all of those little intricacies in the show like the different themes the black versus white all that different stuff uh i'm like so hardcore into all of like those secret meanings and all of that where i'm kind of in the same boat as you i my favorite character in the show is ben um like if i had to pick one person that was it it was because i was so entranced with what he did with his character but that was backed by the others it was all that mystery about what the others did how they operate uh how they do what they do and i think that this was i think i was excited for um i i kind of assumed we were gonna because Locke was going with them we were gonna get more of the other like perspective um so i was i was at least hopeful that that's what we were going to get to so i'm i'm definitely in agreement ben uh i always say richard was my favorite character up until his flashback episode uh, I, I personally, I thought that episode kind of ruined the character only. And I, and I fully understand why, and, and I'm able to like rationalize it. It's only because it was not, it, I built it up so much in my mind and especially because like, okay, this guy doesn't age. He's there at all these various yeah. points, all this sort of stuff. And it was just that build up, And I figured he was so, uh, integral to the mythology of the show and then to me personally his episode didn't live up to what i had built it up to be in my mind so it's completely my own fault 
but definitely Ben is like next in line as my favorite character for several of the reasons you uh, you said and a few others as well. I always say it's Richard up until his episode, Ben, and then Sawyer as my top three favorites. I can get that. I can definitely get that with with Richard because there was so much mystery, like mystery around him leading up to that point. I could definitely understand that for sure. In flashback, Kate and Cassidy are at a bar drinking. Cassidy asks for Kate's name, and she responds, Lucy, once again. But Cassidy uh, calls her out on this lie as well. She says not to think about the name when lying, not even for a second. And when she asks why Kate chose Lucy, Kate says she remembered the name from having memorized the saints in Sunday school. And Cassidy asks why a girl who went to Sunday school is afraid of the cops showing up. After Kate takes a big gulp of her drink, she admits the truth. She killed her stepfather not that long ago and escaped from the marshal who arrested her. She then tells Cassidy that she's in Iowa because she wants to speak to her mother. Cassidy tells her that if she's, uh, what she just said is true, the feds will be watching her mother 24-7. They then start to make a plan for Cassidy to help Kate somehow get in touch with her mother. And when Kate asks Cassidy why she would want to help, Cassidy says that she fell in love with the wrong guy, gave him her life savings, got conned and embarrassed, and she'll help because one of the two of them deserves something good. And that was kind of, like I said earlier, the fact that, like, Kate was just, like, like, just honest, which we've almost never seen. Even when she's talking with Jack, even Sawyer, she's almost never that honest where she's just like, this is what happened, this is what I did. Yeah, And then, like you said, and I mean, you know, I've said the mythology of the show, but definitely like that sort of six degrees of separation, like you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. where, you know, so-and-so is in this person's flashback. And, and actually, when you said it before about, you know, like sometimes you got to pick them out. One of my favorites is uh, early in, was it season two, when uh, Shannon's father dies? And we see that briefly in the one Jack flashback. And then we see it from Shannon's perspective. And we see yep. Jack walking around in the background. Yeah. Um, but just this whole thing. And like, we know that Cassidy is referencing Sawyer, but Kate, of course, has no idea. Oh, she doesn't dear. know who Sawyer is. But I, I do like that as well. Because for us, it just increases the show, I think. Yeah. I think. My favorite favorite part of this was that Kate picks Lucy, says it's because of the scene, and then her next sentence is her admitting that she committed murder. I, I think that's like one of these one of those like little things uh, with this scene where like Kate just kind of like you said she was fully bluntly honest, which we don't get from her a lot. But just the contrast of her picking a saint and then confessing to murder, I think is one of those things that's like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Kinda, it's kind of weird. Um, so I thought that that was actually kind of like a cool dynamic to it. And meanwhile, you know, Cassidy saying, oh, this is the bad guy. You know, I gave him my life savings and everything. Meanwhile, like a f- episode before or two episodes before, Kate and him are in, Kate and Sawyer are in the cages together. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, it's just it's just that cool little like timeline like trickery that we get with the show that makes like that timing so good where it's like yeah this happened and now we're we're flashing back and learning more about Kate. Little do we know that Cassidy is connected to Sawyer and Sawyer and Kate are now. You know it's just cool how things ended up like that. Yeah. Back on the island, Kate wakes up in the jungle. She also notices that she's handcuffed to Juliet, who's still unconscious. 
And that was one of those things, like you said before, you were interested, which I never, when I was watching it the first time, I, I never really thought about like, you know, oh, who else is going to be left behind? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you know, you said Locke mentioned Jack or whatever. Mm-hmm. I never thought that it would have been one. Like now, not just from this show, but having watched many, many, many TV shows, I do start to think about that sort of stuff where I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, what's the twist going to be? They totally got me with that twist where it's like they're going to leave one of their own out there too. Yeah. I think it was funny that it was Juliet, like of all people, because of what happened earlier in the episode. And, you know, her and Kate have obviously had tension, but then right at the start of this episode, like Kate tries to attack her and everything. I felt like it was just interesting that it was Juliet of all people, but we've seen Juliet so much interact with different people from the survivors that, um, I think it was the perfect person to go with. Um, I wasn't sold that it wasn't a con by the others. Like I, I immediately thought like, there's no way they actually left her behind at the, at the first scene. And then as they spent a little more time together, I was like, okay, you know, maybe they did actually just leave Juliet completely gone from them, which, you know, became, I guess, more of a possibility the longer the episode went on. But obviously, you know, stuff changes throughout the episode. But I was definitely, I was interested. They, you know, I, I wasn't sold on it yet. I was a little iffy on what was going to happen from this point because it's like, why handcuff both of them? They're out in the middle of the jungle, you know, kind of strange. See, I was the only reason that I was sold was because, and I mean, we, I don't think we really have the, like, by this point, we kind of know that, like, Ben has, you know, the, the thing for Juliet. I don't think it's been, I can't remember if it's been stated, like, fully, because, like, he, I know for a fact he hasn't done the Your Mind speech. We haven't seen mm-hmm. that yet. Um, but basically my thought was like, okay, it makes sense that it's her, especially out of all people, her, because she was willing to leave with Jack. So it makes sense that if yeah. they were going to say like, you know what, we're, we're going to get rid of you. We got Locke now. And, you know, for whatever reason they want, they want Locke and Locke. They want Locke, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, basically you were willing to leave us. So, you know what, we're going to leave you instead out in the jungle, handcuffed to Kate, because I also thought that. Maybe not in this episode, and of course, it definitely becomes clearer as the episode goes on, but at the time, I definitely thought that, uh, like, Jack and Saeed were not necessarily handcuffed together, but I thought they were so- they would have been somewhere out in a different part of the jungle, and they would have had to figure out their way back or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I feel like if maybe we had gotten that aspect of it, I would have bought in, maybe not bought into it, but I would have been a little bit more... Um, on board? Yeah, I might have been a little bit more sold, only because I just knew that, like, Julia had already pulled some tricky stuff in the past, and I wasn't sold that this wasn't part of her idea at this point. So I, you know, things obviously changed throughout the show with Juliet, but, you know, we saw her and everything with her interactions with Son and how she kind of turned on, on them then. So I wasn't sold that this was definitely, like, her play or her being put up to a play um, by by Ben. So I was a little on the fence in the beginning. Like I said, after after they spend a little bit more time in the jungle, I was definitely a little bit more sold on it. Um, but, yeah. Right. Back at the beach, Sawyer is trying to fish, but it's not working. 
He sees Sun and Jin and smiles at them, but she gives him the stink eye. He comments to himself that he won't be getting the Korean vote. He then gets something on his fishing line, and after struggling to get it, he tries gutting it, doing a terrible job. Moments later, he finds Hurley and says that he's ready to make amends. He says that he doesn't want to be banished. Hurley tells him that he stinks and asks if he tried gutting a fish by himself and asks how he hasn't learned that yet uh, because they've been there for three months and Sawyer says that he just wants to get this over with. Hurley tells him to start by apologizing for calling him all the names and after he sighs, Sawyer apologizes for calling him Rotund and then scoffs uh, saying that Hurley is worse than a girl when he asks if Sawyer really meant that but Sawyer just wants to keep making nice. Yeah, I think this just kind of, uh, you know, like we were saying before, I think Hurley, uh, you know, he likes to keep everybody together. And I think that once Sawyer realized he wasn't going to be able to survive by himself or function by himself the way that he was used to, that, um, you know, he went, he went right to Hurley. And I feel like Hurley was always kind of like that uh, play nice guy or, you know, the, the family oriented guy by family i mean the survivors but he always wanted everyone you know to to be together so i i felt like that just kind of added to this a little bit it was um definitely you see sawyer's you know he kind of swallows his pride a little bit um which we hadn't seen too many times prior you know like we had seen him go head to head with Jack and head to head with Saeed on numerous occasions. And this was kind of one of the first times where he actually kind of backed down. And I found that it was interesting that it was to Hurley, not Hurley by himself, but like it was Hurley's idea and Hurley went to him. And I, I feel this was kind of like uh, just interesting that this is what made Sawyer kind of swallow his pride and, and realize that, he wasn't anything without these guys, so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just always think it's funny that he's just there, and he basically admits to Hurley he's just doing this because he doesn't want to get kicked out. Like, when Hurley says to him, like, oh, do you really mean all that? Like, Hurley just, or I'm sorry, Sawyer just flat out says, like, you know, let's just keep this going. Like, he's he's basically saying, like, no, I don't mean any of this. I just want people to not banish me (laughs) yeah exactly and i think that that was kind of like still i guess like the short-sighted side of this is that like yeah sawyer kind of swallowed his pride a little bit but in the end it was just for his self um you know he was still being a little selfish uh he didn't see the larger picture it was just like he didn't want to be out on his own and he he swallowed his pride solely because of that you could tell he wasn't exactly happy about having to change or or do some of that stuff but he had to do what he had to do to survive and that's kind of always been Sawyer's way um it was always about you know survival of the fittest kind of deal so I think he realized that this time he wasn't going to be able to buy his way out of this he had to actually uh get the buy-in right back in the jungle Kate sees a knife in Juliet's pocket Juliet is still out Kate slowly goes for the knife, but upon opening it, this causes Juliet to wake and suddenly grab Kate's hand, asking what she's doing there. Kate says she doesn't know, and they both state that they're in the dark on the reason they're there and cuffed to each other. After Juliet lets Kate go, Kate tries using the knife to pick the lock on the cuffs. Kate asks what happened, and Juliet says she was making tea and a canister came through the window. 
She then tells Kate that the knife is too big for the lock, and Kate declares that they're going back, which is like her thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And you kind of see like that headstrong, like, uh, you know, my way of the highway type of deal in this scene too. Like, you know, you're getting this flashback of Kate acting one way, and then on the island it's like snapped back to how we know Kate and what certain people hate Kate for. So I, that's like, I think the interesting part of this episode to me was, is that like you were literally getting two stories and two sides of Kate at the exact same time, which was pretty cool. Right. Juliet doesn't understand why they would go back claiming they, the others did this, did this to them. Why would they want to go back? Kate yells that Juliet is one of them. She then says they're going back because she believes the rest of her people, the survivors, were probably gassed as well. She then says the others are gone. She saw them pack up and leave. Juliet is confused before Kate says John came to say bye before they were going off. Juliet asks where, and Kate says she doesn't know before welcoming Juliet to the wonderful world of not knowing what the hell is going on. Yeah, so... Made me questionable about this whole thing was because he's trying to pick the lock with that knife, um, and I'm like, okay, like you know what I mean. It almost seemed like it was on purpose that it was too big and we couldn't just pop pop the cuffs off like we've seen Kate do a million times before. Um, so I, I was like, I was still a little gray at this point as to if this was for real or not. Uh, she was obviously trying to sell that you know she was thrown out. You know, she was like, um, Kate, obviously, with the history of Juliet, was just like, absolutely not. Like, you're one of them. We're going back. This is what we're going to do kind of deal. Right. In flashback, a woman with dark hair we're supposed to assume is Kate is approaching a house, dragging a suitcase behind her. After knocking on the door and Kate's mother, Diane, opening it and looking shocked, several federal agents swarm on the woman. Uh, Agent Mars is there. And tells the woman to get down on the ground, and he wants to see her hands. He then takes her hat and sunglasses off before revealing that it's Cassidy with black hair just like Kate's. He asks who she is, and she says she's simply selling Bibles. Upon looking in her suitcase, they even find various editions of the Bible. We then see from across the street, Kate is watching all of this go down, worried. Yeah, so... uh... This is like a, a cool little scene just for like the deception of everything. Uh, nothing too serious. I did like how she was selling Bibles. You know, obviously religion is something that's played out um, through subtle, you know, symbolism throughout the entire show. Some being very big symbolism. Um, but just the fact that it was Bible, she could have been selling anything or going door to door for whatever. But I just thought that it was cool that they just added, you know, that just continued to, to kind of bring that needle through the, through the show. Um, but nothing else in this scene like really stuck out to me. I did. I mean, she talks about it. Uh, the the next thing I have is about them in the hotel room, but I I did like the fact that that was their first thought was, you know, let's see, basically do a little recon, you know, how many, how many people are constantly with the mother and whatever. I thought that was real smart. Yeah, it was cool. Later, in a hotel room, Cassidy knocks on a door and meets Kate, who's already inside. Cassidy says they questioned her for a half an hour and took her suitcase. She says it's a good thing she knows how to lie. Kate is glad that they at least know what they're up against now, but Cassidy thinks she's nuts. 
She tells Kate how at least six agents were there waiting to take her down, including Mars, who she reckons if he ever gets in contact with Kate again face-to-face, only one of them will leave alive. Kate then says Cassidy can still back out, but Cassidy confirms that she'll help. But she then says that if she's lying to federal agents for all of this, she at least needs to know why it's so important that Lucy needs to speak with her mother. Kate then tells her how the stepfather was abusive, she blew up his house, she faked a gas leak, made it look like an accident, took out insurance money for her mother, so on and so forth, but her mother still turned her in. She chose the abusive man over her own daughter, and she wants to know why. And Cassidy declares that they're going to find out. Again, this was just Kate, like, just for once telling the truth. (laughs) Yeah, it was, she's very bold. In these flashbacks, I'm. Uh, it's kind of, kind of strange because, like, like people said, she is very. Uh, she's known for being very deceptive, and kind of, you know, uh, never coming. She never. The way that she speaks, it never seems like she's ever being fully honest. Um, but in both these scenes, in these flashbacks, she's just direct to the point, a hundred percent honesty. Like this is what I did. This is what happened, and uh, it's definitely like a different light. I may have liked her more if she was like this throughout the whole show. Um, But, yeah. Now, I don't want to get into, I mean, this could go very south. I don't think it will, but I I don't mean this in like a bad way. Do you think that maybe she was a little more open with Cassidy? One, because she saw Cassidy trying to basically be a con artist, and we know Kate mm-hmm. has experience being a con artist, but also because it was like a girl bonding thing versus almost any other time she's always using men to get what she wants versus this time it's like, you know, it's it's a fellow woman. Like, she might be able to understand, sort of. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. I mean, you know, we don't really get... Her her interactions with like Claire on the island are definitely a little different from everyone else's as well. Um, I do definitely think that this is kind of like when she said, "Oh, this is just one girl looking out for another girl." I think that she did actually mean that. You know, obviously she didn't want the cops called and everything, but I do think that she kind of like sees someone else maybe going through a path similar to what she's already traveled, and she kind of gravitated towards that, and she feels a little bit more comfortable. Uh, not having to be deceptive and not have to put up a front. So I could definitely see that for sure. You know, and like you said, she does typically use men for basically whatever she wants or needs to get done. She did it off the island. She did it on the island. So I think that's actually a very, very good point. Back in the jungle at night, Kate is looking at the ground, telling Juliet that whoever brought them out there left a trail and she thinks she can follow it back. Clearly, that other wasn't using their, uh, I mean, not that she knows this and we know it was Juliet, but, you know, clearly that other wasn't uh, using their training very well. (laughs) Uh, Juliet tugs on the cuff to get Kate to stay uh, when she's trying to leave. Juliet tries telling Kate that it's going to rain and that they should wait until morning, but Kate refuses. Kate then tugs on the cuffs herself to make Juliet follow. Uh, she asks why the others would handcuff Juliet to Kate, bring them both out into the jungle, and Juliet makes one of the truest statements on the entire show. Ben has a thing for mind games. Yes, and I think I think that this... So this was another scene where that, that quote right there kind of left me to believe, like, well, maybe this is a mind game. You know what I mean? Like, I was still, like, 
not sold yet. It wasn't until they got to like the ringing area and everything like that, where I was like, okay, maybe this is getting a little bit more serious. Um, but I always kept that in my, my head where it was like, well, Ben's been playing games the whole time. You know what I mean? Like he, like from Henry Gale and on Ben, everything that Ben has done has not only been calculated, but it's been executed very well. And I, I was still hesitant to believe that this was still, um, legit, so uh, I definitely thought that this, that statement, though, did kind of let you know what you were going to be dealing with with Ben. You already had a good idea from his actions, but if people from his own camp are just kind of saying, like, this is his thing, this is what he does, that made me very, even more interested in his character because I like that. You know what I mean? I like the idea of, like, everything to Ben was a chess move, and Ben was very used to winning. So that I like that particular Ben was very used to winning. That's he was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. I like that. (laughs) After they have a bit more back and forth with some attitude, they decide not to talk and it starts raining. Kate insists that they keep going so she doesn't lose the trail if it gets wet. But Juliet says that she's not getting dragged all the way back for him. She tells Kate she was standing right there when Jack told her clear as day not to come back for him, and she ruined his chance of getting off the island. Kate then punches Juliet in the face before they start to fight, and Kate twists Juliet's arm, and Kate angrily asks, uh, keeps angrily asking Juliet if she's done as she keeps twisting her arm. A crack is then heard. Kate dislocated Juliet's arm, and Juliet screams in pain. Kate immediately apologizes and freaks out, and then the sounds of the monster are heard. Juliet asks what that noise was, and Kate looks around, afraid. Now, I mean, I don't know. I've never broken a bone or had anything be (laughs) dislocated or anything like that, but I would find, and it's, it's pure ignorance on my part, and I'm obviously saying this with no knowledge, but I would find it difficult to believe that even though she says in a little bit how she's had experience with this particular, like her shoulder dislocating or whatever, wouldn't mm-hmm. she just keep screaming even with them? Like she, you know, wouldn't she scream like, what was that? Versus just like all of a sudden being calm and taking into account like, okay, wait, there was just a weird noise. What is that? Like, it yeah. seems like she almost forgot about it for a second. Yeah. I've, I, I've broken bones. I've dif- dislocated bones. Um, it is not a good feeling at all. And you definitely get, like, an insane rush of pain. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I, rea- I would react like that. You know, I've it definitely feels much better once, like, if it's dislocated and you pop it back into place. It's a lot better. Um, but typically, like, right when it first happens, you're in a very severe amount of pain. Unless it's something that happens very often and you're kind of used to it but it's still obviously gonna hurt right a moment later kate's yelling for juliet to get up while juliet is yelling about her dislocated shoulder and when she finally gets up the two run for cover and kate leads them into a clump of vines and trees as she's done in the past juliet seems more confused while kate's telling her to just get down and be quiet the monster then screeches before shining a blinding light on both of them before disappearing just as suddenly. Juliet asks if they're okay, and Kate thinks Juliet should know better than her. 
Now, I want to say this is one of the first times that Kate has had like a, a face-to-face, quote-unquote, interaction with the monster. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Now, she's she's heard it and seen it, but we've never seen it like on screen with her in her face up until this point. Right. Now, uh, Jake has an interesting point of view. I don't know if, if you feel this way or if, if some of the listeners feel this way, but he said that when... Uh, the white light, like when Locke said uh, towards the beginning of the series, he saw a bright white light, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that means that the monster is scanning the person, you know, getting their memories and whatever, which yep. is why basically any time after that, it always or even when, you know, before uh, it came face to face with Kate right now, it was always black smoke. But yet now it's it's in her face and in Juliet's face. And it's this blinding white light basically scanning the two of them to find out the memories and anything else that it can use against them. Yeah, I think um, I personally think that this scene is more scanning Juliet. I do agree with the scanning um, aspect of it because the smoke monster is supposed to be judgment, right? And when we see like later on in the show, we see it past judgment and even with like Echo or Ben later on after um, everything happens with his daughter, we we see the judgment come and we see either the white lights or we see uh, the smoke and then, you know, different play, playouts from there. I think this was strictly about Juliet. I think this was about uh, to see if she was a good person or not. And I think that that's why we saw mainly white lights. I think it was, you know, just flashing through everything and just figuring out if Juliet was worthy of staying here or not. And I think this was a big point for Juliet's judgment after everything that's happened up to this point and what continues after this. I think this was a very good time for uh, the smoke monsters to show up and, uh, and to meet Juliet, supposedly for the first time. Nice, I like that. Back at the beach, Claire is with Aaron as Hurley and Sawyer watch in the distance. Sawyer says he's not going to kiss a baby, and Hurley tells him that Claire pulls a lot of weight in the group. A vote from her would be very helpful. Sawyer says he never did anything against her, so he doesn't understand why she wouldn't vote for him. But Hurley reminds him that he hasn't done anything for her either. And he never asks how Aaron is. Sawyer says, Aaron is a baby. He's loud and smells. (laughs) Hurley then points out that people don't like Sawyer's sarcastic comments like that. Sawyer sighs before asking what he needs to do. And Hurley suggests just going and asking how she and the baby are and give her a blanket, which he hands to Sawyer. I do like the fact that he Sawyer almost immediately turns it into like that standard politician thing. I'm not kissing a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just like one of those things where Sawyer just doesn't know how to He's a very good con man, but he his his actual like social skills in certain senses are always kind of like weird. I feel like in this being one of them, I feel like Part of it was because he kind of felt forced to act this way, uh, to not be banished. But um, you could tell he's just he's just awkward trying to be something that he's not. And, you know, I think that that kind of plays out for him 
a little bit later on, but I do think it's a good leading up point to where, you know, Hurley kind of tells him like, Hey man, like no one else is around. Like you're kind of the guy that we look to. And it's really nice because it's definitely the, the change back to soy. I mean, I, you know, one could argue basically him coming back from uh, being captive by the others was really the thing because I guess absence makes the heart grow fonder, mm-hmm. but he like, it seems almost everybody forgot, or at least in this instance, when everybody else from the A team is gone, they're willing to forget that he lied to all of them. He, you know, stole all the guns. He constantly, you know, has all the food and all of this stuff in his stash. He was patronizing to all of them when he's you know saying about like yeah sure i'll face anybody in a ping pong match he doesn't seem to know who the people are in the camp nikki and paolo Mm -hmm. but yet when it comes to this it seems like everybody's almost willing to forgive him and this kind of brings him back to the the good side of things in general even if it's him being conned into doing it by hurley yeah i agree i think that this is definitely like uh it was necessary, you know what I mean? Like, with, like I said earlier, with Jack on and Lock on and Saeed gone, um, you know, someone had to step up and, and kind of help the team out. And no matter how deceiving Sawyer was in the past, he was obviously probably the most fit to do it. I do have one other issue, though. Uh, Hurley says that that Hurley, or I'm sorry, that that Sawyer never did anything. Wasn't Sawyer for a while the only one to be able to get Aaron to go to sleep? Remember, he read the the magazine and like the car magazine and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I remember, I, every time I watch this scene, I always think about that. I'm like, he was the. I'm like, his smooth southern voice yeah, was the only <laughs> one to ever get Aaron to actually go to sleep for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that now. I didn't even think about that. It's actually a really good point. A moment later, Sawyer approaches Claire, and she's surprised to see him, and they have a very awkward exchange because neither is used to Sawyer seeming this nice. His compliment towards Aaron is that he's not as wrinkly as he was a few weeks ago. She chuckles at this before he hands her the blanket, awkwardly saying he doesn't like blankets, before wishing her a good night. Uh, she hesitantly says it back to him and he walks away, sees Hurley giving him the thumbs up. That is one of the most awkward moments I think ever on the show where he's just like, I don't like blankets. <laughs> well, good night. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I think that this was kind of like where I was going with before when I was saying how like his social skills are just so strange and like, you know, he's being forced into like, he doesn't know how to interact with people and try to be nice He's just used to kind of being himself because he's been alone for so long, um, you know, and he's been a comment for so long. He's not used to having to have any kind of like extended time with people. So I think that like, oh, he's less wrinkly and oh, I don't like blankets. It was just super awkward to see him like this. But it was cool to at least like get that perspective. Well, well, at least he is trying because he is trying to stay with the group and, you know, Like I said before, I think it would have been weird to see what would have happened or, you know, something unfortunate happened to the group and Sawyer was banished and the other guys weren't back yet, Um, you know, who were to step up, you know, who who was going to be the decision maker at that point. So um, it was definitely cool. It's a cool little dynamic. And it's it's really nice to see. I mean, 
you know, Hurley's always the comic relief, they always say. Um, and Sawyer gets a lot of the comic relief only because he has those sarcastic comments. But I thought it was really nice to see, like you said, like his his awkwardness and Josh Holloway portraying that to where it's awkward, but it's funny. So it's a yeah. different side of Sawyer's humor. It's not humorous to him because he's in this really awkward situation. But to us as the audience, it's a different kind of funny from Sawyer. I really like that. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely it was a different side of his character that we hadn't seen throughout this whole show, which I think made it pretty, pretty fun for the viewers. For sure. Back in the jungle, Kate and Juliet are still hiding, and Juliet asks if it's safe to leave. Kate can't believe that Juliet has never seen the monster before. Juliet sarcastically says, uh, uh, says for the truth, I wrote, I don't know what that means. Kate, uh, can, oh yeah, okay. She sarcastically says that to get the truth out of her, Kate can pull her other arm out of its socket. (laughs) Juliet then tells Kate that she needs to pop uh, the dislocated shoulder back in. She describes the feeling as broken glass under her skin and reminds Kate that if it wasn't for Kate, she'd be on her way home right now. Kate then insists that Jack told her not to come back for him to protect her, not to get her hurt. Juliet says this isn't the case. They have cameras on the cages, and she informs Kate that Jack saw Kate and Sawyer together. She says the reason Jack sent Kate away wasn't so she wouldn't get hurt. It was because she broke his heart. She then demands once again that Kate pop her shoulder back into place, which Kate does, and Juliet screams incredibly loud. And I I mean, it didn't. we didn't see it in... Uh, a few episodes ago when Jack says, you know, uh, he has that moment with Kate in the room and he's just like, you know, I did tell you not to come back for me. I had this plan, blah, blah, blah. But you can see it on his face. And I'm and I'm not a big Jack fan, but yeah. I really love that that scene with him because he first of all, he says a huge plan that nobody ever really talks about how good of a plan it actually was. But he also just has this heartbreak on his face of like he still loves her but he knows that he has to kind of push her away because she did break his heart because she hooked up with Sawyer. Yeah, I think that Jack kind of struggles with this throughout the rest of the show, too, obviously. Um, You know, this is something that, like, just kind of always eats at him and burns him. Um, But, like, this is one of those parts where, like, you kind of, whether you're a Jack fan or not, you feel for him. You know, it's just because, you know, Kate did what she did. But um, regardless, if you agree with his ways on the island, it's kind of a shitty thing to have happen to you. And you see it right there on the screen and you're already in a situation that you don't really want to be in. So uh, it's definitely, definitely tough. Oh, yeah. I think everybody can identify with like a heartbreak feeling like that. Maybe, you know, your your girlfriend didn't or sort of girlfriend didn't hook up with somebody in a cage on camera but you can you know yeah exactly back with the survivors just off the beach sawyer and desmond are on the ground with guns hunting for boar sawyer is upset they're out so early and desmond says this is when the boar break cover to eat Desmond then asks what Sawyer's angle is, explaining that Sawyer has barely spoken to him and suddenly wants to be his hunting buddy. Sawyer says he has hearts and minds to change, and politics is all about bribes. Money means nothing, but food is what the people want. Desmond then shushes him as a boar appears, and Desmond shoots it. I like the fact that Desmond realized right away, like, you know, 
something's up here. Like, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> yeah, Desmond, I think, is always kind of real about everything, you know what I mean? And he's 100% right, obviously. He can see straight through it. Claire may not have in the situation that they were in, and she thought, you know, it was what it was. But for Sawyer to just be like, oh, let's go out into the woods together and hunt boar all of a sudden, you know, it is one of those things where it's like, hey, you've been on the island for three months and you've never wanted to do this before. So, like, what's like, what's up? You know what I mean? I'm glad that Desmond kind of caught on to that and called him out on it. Um, you know, De- Desmond's one of those really awesome characters that I feel doesn't get enough credit. Um, he's obviously a big part of the show without being a gigantic part of the show in a sense, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think it's cool. Just, I love that kind of heads up by him where he's already kind of like, all right, man, like you're not, this isn't for you. Like what's this, what's this really about? And it's really cool because, like, these are two characters who almost never interact with each other. Exactly, which I think is why it's, like, even that much more interesting is it's, like, it's not like where Desmond and Jack had their their bump-ins or whatever along the way. It was just, like, like, okay, this guy is, you know, obviously out for something. And that's kind of the persona that everyone everyone kind of viewed sort of that way. So it was, it was just good to see that somebody was like all right man like i know you don't really want to be here so like what's what's going on yeah it's it's weird like everybody else is so trusting because like they're so used to following jack or Locke or whoever that basically they all would see him as see sawyer as like the next in line to sort of take over but yet none of them except for desmond realize like hey, you know what? He's being different all of a sudden. Like, we should question this. They just all, I think, are so happy to to have, like, a leader figure again. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of because Desmond's been on the island for so long by himself where he doesn't really need anyone. Like, he, yes, he's benefiting from being with the group, but he was in that hatch for a long time, and he knows the island already. And obviously circumstances are different when you're protected in the hatch and everything like that. But I feel like he's kind of used to just being on his own and being able to do his own thing, and he doesn't really need uh, a team. He chooses to be there. Um, you know, so that's why I think he just kind of saw it like, hey, man, like, I don't really, you know, it doesn't make a difference to me who's leading this pack. I'm kind of here because it's the smartest thing for me to do. Yeah, that's true. He is kind of, he's he's very well-traveled. Like, he was in the military. So, yeah, he, he could kind of be almost like a Rousseau in the sense of, like, survive on his own. But it does, yeah. like you said, it makes sense for him to just kind of be with all the rest of them. Yeah. Back in the jungle with Kate and Juliet, they both wake up. Kate asks how her shoulder is, and Juliet sarcastically says awesome before Kate thinks they should leave. In flashback at a diner, Cassidy is sitting getting some soup from her waitress, Diane, Kate's mother. As Diane is helping someone else, Cassidy moves the soup so that when Diane walks past her again, she can accidentally spill it on her. She apologizes profusely, and Diane insists that it happens all the time before going to the restroom to try and clean herself up. In the restroom, Diane is cleaning herself and looks in the mirror. She sees Kate, who wants to exchange pleasantries, but Diane just wants to know why Kate is there. She says she wants to know why Diane told on her about Wayne. Diane uh, says she mistakenly thought Kate was there to apologize, but Kate says she's not sorry because Wayne was abusive. 
but Diane counters that you can't help who you love, good or bad, and no matter what, Kate murdered a man. Kate tries justifying it so that, or justifying that she did it for her mother, but Diane declares that Kate did it only for herself. She begins to cry before saying she needs to get back to work and won't tell the two feds who are sitting right out there that Kate was here. But if Kate ever comes around again, the first thing that she'll do is yell for help. And we actually know this to be true. Yep, exactly. I'm glad that, like, later in the show, when it does happen, um, she does just straight yell for help. I mean, not yell. She she tried to yell, but... yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like one of those, I mean, it's, it's weird. Like it's not a mystery, but it is one of those things that like they can kind of do it as like a callback. So it, it almost has like a mystery answering a mystery type vibe to it. Exactly. Um, back on the Island, Kate and Juliet are walking to the barracks. Kate asks Juliet if Jack specifically told her that Kate broke his uh, broke his heart and Juliet says that he didn't have to. Kate claims Juliet knows nothing about Jack but Juliet counters that she knows where he was born, his parents' occupations the fact that he was married, why he got divorced how his father died and so many other things. She then asks what Kate knows about him Yeah this is just the others having the info on everyone you know, it was just one of those things that it was like, Juliet really didn't know a lot, and I think that was kind of her throwing it back in Kate's face, like, hey, maybe you don't know about as much about Jack as you think you do, and I know a lot more than, obviously, you think I, I know, so, and she said, Jack didn't have to say it, you know, you could tell by his face, he knew um, that he was heartbroken, and I think that that... Um, was you know obviously 100 percent correct like we were saying before right and I, I i like the fact that that was kind of the same thing that she had with jack that juliet had with jack at the beginning of the season when she pulls out this big file on him and she says like you know oh i know about you and he's just like you don't know anything about me when he tried pulling the you know like oh i'm a repo man sort of thing and he's like you don't know anything about me and she lists like all this stuff she's able to tell him stuff that even he doesn't know like about Sarah you know the fact that that Sarah's still happy and all this other stuff so I did like the fact that that kind of came back around where she can once again use her knowledge and be like I do know things (laughs) yeah exactly Kate pauses before saying they need to keep moving as they keep walking they hear the monster again Kate says they need to run but Juliet trips and they fall into some mud They get up and run more before coming to the sonic fence seen a few episodes ago. Kate tells Juliet to stop and that she knows what'll happen if they go through it. Juliet tells her that it's off, but Kate doesn't believe her. They have some back and forth about this before Juliet finally pulls out a key from her pocket and unlocks herself from Kate. Juliet runs to the other side of the fence and nothing happens to her. She goes to a control box and we see a switch. She yells for Kate to get on her side of the fence Kate hesitates before running, trying to cover her head. Once she's through, Juliet turns the lever, and the fence is activated. The smoke monster comes straight for the fence, but upon reaching it, it's repelled, almost splitting into two columns of smoke before it flies away. Yeah, so, obviously, um, this is where you find out that Juliet, you know, was playing the game the whole whole time. Um, she uh, has the handcuffs, she obviously... She unlocks her, you know, because she's, she's worried about the smoke monster as well. It's obviously not 
something that she, you know she is familiar with you know even though she was trying to lead on that she wasn't familiar with it um you know and uh they go from there they get on the pile on i did like how she had to enter the code and the numbers were 15 16 23 and uh you know kate ends up coming across the line they activate the barrier and uh you know old smoky hits it and that was the end of it took off back into the uh back into the jungle I don't know if I ever noticed that the code was those numbers before. Yep, 15, 16, 23. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The thing that I mean, the thing that I really like about that scene, though, is the fact that we see, and they never really explain it, but it is sort of like an old mythological thing of like, you know, cer- like uh, later on in the series, they have like the circles of ash. And for yep. some reason, like there's creatures that just can't break like a certain barrier like that. And they, like I said, they never, as far as I can think, they never really explain it. It's just one of those things where it's just an old sort of lore thing, but it definitely gets like thrown to the front right here. And the fact that upon hitting the the sonic fence thing the monster just splits and we never learn like anything else other than that about this particular moment but i remember watching that the first time and wanting to know more about the monster and the mythology of the show like i said and just watching that and like jumping out of my seat because i thought that was like a huge thing and I, I mean it is but like nothing is ever really made of it but i just remember watching that going like holy crap yeah <laughs> i i thought the same thing actually like when it hits the fence and it just kind of bounces back i'm like okay well that's how they're living in peace um but why like how you know what i mean yeah. none of that stuff none of that stuff was ever answered it was just one of those things that it's like and she says it like, well, we know that it doesn't like this Sonic Fence kind of deal. And uh, that's all we know. And we're like, okay. And that's kind of all we ever learned about it. You know, there's never like a flashback as to why. It's just, this is how it is, you know. And there's other things in the show that it's kind of the same way. We just kind of accept it for what it is. But I do kind of wish that they had maybe a little bit of a background on it to kind of key us in as to why exactly. Uh, that worked, you know, how they found out that it worked, but yeah, it was cool. See, my, my big thing is like, I always wonder now, cause we know that the barracks were the Dharma initiatives and we know that the hostels, as they called them, didn't really like the Dharma initiative. They had like a working relationship with them sort of, but how did they come upon that knowledge that this thing, that, that the monster basically couldn't go past any sort of barrier like that because as we saw previously the sonic fence surrounds the whole thing so like did richard tell uh horace like oh yeah by the way build this thing so that monster (laughs) doesn't get in yeah he doesn't come in here and just tear everything apart yeah no i i agree with you i do wish i wish there was a little bit more to it because i think it would have been kind of interesting after seeing all this, Kate pushes Juliet, and as you said, Juliet says, although they don't know what the monster is, they know it doesn't like their fence. But all Kate is concerned with is the fact that Juliet had a key. Uh, Juliet says how she was left behind too. They gassed her. Even though Kate may not care, the people she's known and lived with for the past few years of her life left her. She tried bonding with Kate, making her think they were in it together. Maybe she wouldn't get left behind again. Kate takes the key and they walk away. 
And I had absolutely, and I mean, I love Juliet as a character, but in this moment, I had absolutely no sympathy for her, and I didn't believe a word she said, because why yeah. should I? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I didn't, um, I didn't have any sympathy for her either. I feel like, you know, she kind of made this bed for herself, you know, and on the other's terms, she was trying to do something that was kind of frowned upon, so obviously, uh, you know, Kate doesn't know everything that happened, but as from the viewer perspective, Juliet, she gets no sympathy from me here. You know, she's got to figure it out. Yeah, like she, but like she says about the fact that like, you know, this, uh, they, she was left behind too. She had a canister. Why on earth would I believe her? Because it seems like everything up until this moment has been a lie. She's actually had the key. She did know about the monster. You know what I mean? Like all this other stuff, like it doesn't make... It doesn't quite make sense. Why should I believe Juliet in this moment? Exactly. That she was actually left behind and that she was gassed and all that. Yeah, because now it looks like it was a play the whole time. So it's like, all right, well, what else? Right. You know? Later at the beach, Sawyer is pouring beer over the boar as he cooks it. He's very happy. He then goes to the kitchen area where Charlie is and jokes about Dharma A1 and Paprika. He then says he hopes Charlie will remember the barbecue at their meeting. Charlie questions what meeting, and Sawyer mentions the vote. And Charlie asks, since when does anyone vote on anything around here? Which I love, because, like, it's just such a simple answer. <laughs> it's the truth, though. You know, there is never kind of a vote. They just kind of like, all right, well, this is what we're doing. And everyone just kind of goes along with it. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's very factual. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite moments a few episodes ago when when uh, Locke said, you know, that they were going to go to the Pearl Station and he invites people. And I want to say it's Hurley says, like, what do you mean you're inviting people? Like, Jack <laughs> just sort of gets people and goes. <laughs> yep. Very much the same. Like, when does anybody vote around here? <laughs> it's the truth, though. Yeah. You know. Uh, Sawyer chuckles before realizing that Charlie isn't lying. Sawyer then goes to find Hurley, calling him a son of a bitch and realizing that there isn't going to be a vote. And Hurley says how it's nice to be nice. Sawyer is baffled that Hurley tricked him into being nice and he calls it the lamest con in the history of cons. Hurley says he wasn't conning Sawyer. He then makes mention of Sawyer being the temporary leader and how Sawyer needs to do damage control. Sawyer questions what he means when he says leader, and Hurley points out, as we've said a few times in this episode, Jack, Locke, Kate, and Saeed are all gone. Nikki and Paolo died, and everyone looked to Sawyer, but Sawyer tried stealing the diamonds, but they wanted to look to him. He then points to everyone and says how they're all happy, and Sawyer did that. Just for today, they have bore and can laugh and temporarily forget that they're all screwed. Sawyer mentions not wanting to be the leader, and Hurley claims Jack didn't want it either. We then see all the survivors being happy and eating and drinking. Uh, Hurley gives Desmond a sandwich. Sawyer takes one to Claire, and Sawyer even takes Aaron from Claire. And Sun sees this from a distance, and Sawyer tries smiling at her again, but again receives the stink eye, showing that he didn't get in everyone's good graces. Obviously, um... You know, it's kind of kind of self-explanatory. Like we were saying earlier, they needed a temporary leader to kind of step up with everybody else kind of gone, and, you know, it was one of those things that Sawyer was probably the next guy up. Um, you know, even if Saeed was there, it may have even been a toss-up for some people, but 
Um, you know, Hurley, Hurley was right. You know, Hurley, Hurley kind of condimented just being a decent, decent guy for the day. And, uh, you know, Hoyt Sawyer just kind of said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You know, I'll, I'll accept the role for now, probably assuming that one of those guys will come back sooner or later and uh, just kind of go from there. And I think this is like a good, um, it's a good side to see a Sawyer, you know, because we're used to seeing him in a certain light. It was nice to kind of see him in a different light in the sense of like, okay, he is going out of his way to try to, uh, you know, make people happy. He brings food to Claire and then holds Aaron and lets her eat without, you know, having to hold the baby and everything. Then I think this is just a good step in the right direction for him as a character. And obviously, you know, son is still pissed with him, but you know, is what it is. That is the one part that I like is the fact that, you know, even though he did all these nice things, I mean, we didn't see him try to be nice towards her, probably because he knew it was a lost cause. But uh, the fact that no matter what he did, she's not just going to forget, son isn't just going to forget, you know, the, the big revelation from, you know, the last episode or two where he says, uh, where, you know, Charlie confessed that it was the two of them that set her up to get the bag over her head just so that he could take the guns and all that, you know? Yeah, exactly, and I think that she she's, you know, even Jin, like, accepts food from him at one point, um, you know, when he's handing out food and everything, and I think they're making a plate, and he hands him a plate or whatever, and Sun's just like, she's not having it. Desmond kind of saw through it, so, I mean, not everyone's completely on board, but I think, I think Desmond's perspective is just like, okay, you know what, like, I'm here, I don't care who's running this place, I'm just here for the ride. Where Sun is obviously, she feels betrayed, and, you know, most people would, I would think, um, in that situation that she was in because of them, so. Right. Uh, At the barracks, Juliet and Kate arrive, but it's completely abandoned. Juliet says Saeed is in one of the backyards, and she'll get him, and Kate should get Jack. Kate goes into Jack's house and finds him on the floor, unconscious. She wakes him up and he knocks her to the wall, asking what happened, and she tells him that the others left. She blames herself and apologizes to him. She says that she should have listened and not come back for him. She says she wanted to help him, but it turns out he didn't need her to. She starts crying before repeating that she's sorry over and over. Jack then asks if all the others left, even Juliet. And Kate realizes that he cares about Juliet before saying that they left her too. When he asks why, Kate says Jack would know better than her. He then says that they're now going to go back. They get up and walk outside. I actually really like that because it's almost like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about like the, you know, Kate and Sawyer, Kate and Jack, Sawyer and (laughs) Juliet, like that whole thing. But I always like that tension more. And even though I, I'm kind of ambivalent towards Kate. I don't really, you know, she's not the greatest character. She's not the worst character, in my opinion. I definitely like, for anybody, when somebody does something, willingly or not, where it draw, it furthers the tension. It creates, like, that sort of soap opera type thing where he's just like, you know, everybody knows that he loves Kate and whatever, but he asks about Juliet, realizing or not that it's going to upset her. He he does this, and we do see that it's that she's upset about it, and I'm just like, ooh, drama, like you know, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And I think that that's what it, it like takes Kate by surprise in a sense, but it doesn't. Not that it takes uh, viewers by surprise, you know. They 
Jack and Julia obviously created a bond uh, with his time there, um, whether it's legit or not. You know, some people may still have reservations about it, but um, I thought it was definitely cool that he was just like, yeah, okay, but what about what about Julia? You know, and it, it just kind of like threw that monkey wrench in her plan of like, because she's used to being able to mess up and then being able to just kind of like fix things or, you know, work her way back into a situation. And I feel like Jack is just kind of like, he threw those walls up, and I think she's kind of realizing, like, how bad she messed up when it comes to Jack right now. And it's going to take a lot more than her, you know, smiling at him to get him to, to forgive her. So Yeah, definitely. In flashback, uh, Cassidy and Kate pull up to the garage. Kate gets out, and her car is now fixed. She uh, thanks Cassidy and asks her if she wants Kate to find the guy who ripped her off. But Cassidy says that she's pregnant and it's his baby. And I, well, one, I wrote this is key because it implies to me that she was telling the truth to Sawyer. We actually know this from later on anyway, but she said this to a stranger when she didn't have to. And I wrote also, was she drinking earlier? Yes. Okay. I believe I believe she was. I believe that when they were in the bar, she was drinking, not heavily, but she was drinking with Kate. I don't think she was drinking water. Right. So basically, now my question is, when did she find out she was pregnant? That's a good question. <laughs> and I mean, not not to sound crude or anything, but she may not necessarily have cared, in the sense of like Sawyer's gone. You know what I mean? Like, she's having ill feelings. Not that she wants to purposely take it out on, on the baby or something, but she may not necessarily have cared about what the future was from that standpoint. But obviously things change later in the show. But Yeah, I understand what you're saying, yeah. Uh, Kate then tells Cassidy, uh, who says that she still loves the guy, to call the cops and have him locked up. Cassidy asks if Kate will ever forgive her mother for calling the cops, and Kate says that she won't. Cassidy calls Kate Lucy once more before Kate finally reveals her real name. Kate then leaves. And, I mean, they could have never paid this off, and I think it would have been fine, but I definitely like the fact that it comes back in Season 5. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, uh, I mean, like you were saying, and we talked about before, like, so often we see all of these characters, you know, like, show up, like, the Six Degrees of Separation thing, you know, they show up in, in other characters' flashbacks, but the fact that they that they did bring this up later, I really like that. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those little, not little things, but it's one of those things that just kind of ties everything, continues to tie everything together, even later in the show after... Um, you know, sides have been picked and they had to go back and all this other stuff. It's nice to see that certain threads are just continuing to kind of weave throughout the show. And I think that's what makes the show so special. Absolutely. Um, back at the barracks, Jack and Kate are outside and Jack sees Juliet again. They exchange hellos and ask if the other is okay. Saeed then appears and greets Jack as well. Saeed says he's checked all the houses, no weapons, no people, no trail. It's like 50 people just vanished. Jack says they need to take what they can before nightfall. Jack and Juliet start to walk away before Saeed declares that Juliet is not coming with them. But Jack says she is because they left her behind too. Jack and Juliet walk away as Kate and Saeed share glances before following them. Yeah, so I think this is kind of Jack just, you know, 
all tough shit this is how we're going to do it and Saeed isn't you know in the mood to argue right now or anything they just kind of follow along with it um like I said before he kind of has this connection now with Juliet and thinks that he knows her um more than the others do and kind of gauges her as a good person and not an other so to speak um so you know he was out to protect her the same you know how she checked in on him and that that bond is growing and obviously everyone else still has reservations because they've had previous encounters with her and they haven't been pleasant. And, uh, you know, they're just going to kind of go along with it because Jack's Jack. You know, no one really questions what Jack does except for Locke. So. It's, it's strange to me, though, because this is not the first time that Jack has sort of done this. It's on a different level now because this is an other kind of the people that they've been at war with, in a sense, from mm-hmm. the beginning of the thing, from uh, from the beginning of the show. But like he did the same thing with Ana Lucia when she showed up, especially because he had the the uh, um, uh, the connection with her at yeah. the bar. But basically, he immediately brings her sort of into his inner circle. He's, you know, like with Ana Lucia, he was uh, taking her on walks. They were trying to figure out how to build an army, all this sort of stuff, and kind of put Kate to the side and put everybody else to the side in terms of who he trusted, despite the fact that all the rest of them would normally look at him and say, like, she's new, she just killed our people, and yeah. now you're trusting her. And in a sense, he's doing the same thing with Juliet, where it's like, she's new, she's helped torture our people, she held you and and Kate and Sawyer in cages or in, you know, the, the room with the, whatever, the glass room that Jack was in, whatever. But now all of a sudden you're trusting her as well. Like, this is very uh, typical of Jack and not necessarily in a good way, I think. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it is very typical of him because... Like you said, it has happened before, but I do think that he just kind of um, just does his thing. And he's now I feel like he's used to people not really questioning him, even off the island when he was a, a doctor and everything like that. He just kind of did whatever he wanted to do, and that was usually good enough. You know what I mean? And it was um, kind of kind of it. So Yeah. Uh, I am actually out of notes for the episode. We've finished the episode. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about in regards to Left Behind? So I have three little things for, like, people who really pick stuff apart like I do. Um, During this episode, Sawyer again is reading that book, Watership Down, um, which he's read in previous episodes before. He's continuing to reread it. So it's something that we keep seeing throughout the show. Um, In the barracks... When, uh, when they open the show, you can kind of see like a game, uh, like a board game on the shelf. That's Mousetrap, which is like Locke's favorite game, as he revealed like earlier uh, in the show as well. And uh, Kate in the car when it first broke down is listening listening to Patsy Klein, which if you remember right, was uh, she actually when she was on the farm trying to run away back then before she got caught again, um, she had said that everyone loves Patsy Klein, that this is kind of what it is. So it's cool that, like, those little, little things, uh, just little small things that I've picked up watching watching the show numerous times. So anyone else that's out there, if you watch this episode, look for those little uh, those little Easter eggs. 
I love those sort of things. Me too. I think that's like one of the things that the show does so well. And like you rewatch and you notice and you notice and no one else to me has ever been able to get it done as good as Lost has done it. So uh, just for something for, for people out there that maybe rewatch and look for that stuff when you watch this episode. Nice. If we don't have anything else, why don't you uh, hit them with your social media or anywhere else that they can contact you and follow along with all of your other stuff? Sweet. So um, I primarily use Twitter and Instagram. I'm uh, King Cash K A S C H twenty two on both of those. Um, I also, for anyone that's into video games, I, uh, I stream on Twitch. Um, my Twitch name is twitch.tv slash kingcash. Uh, I stream pretty regularly. Uh, if anyone wants to talk about this stuff, I'm always into like these small little details or, uh, you want to, you know, I know a lot of people, some people actually took pictures of my tattoos or you want to see them. I have them posted up on some of my social media and everything like that. Give them a look. Let me know what you think. I'm not done yet. I still have a few more pieces that I'm going to be adding in. Um, but I would love for anybody to stop in and, uh, give me a chat. You know, we'll talk about, talk about what's, what's going on or maybe something that you want a different opinion on or see what my take is on something. Uh, I would love for that. All right. Uh, I gotta say, uh, we talked about it briefly before. I never had watched a Twitch stream before because to me, and, and I understand the irony of, uh, you know, basically a podcast is just two people or three people or however many people just talking. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people say like, you're just listening to people talking or you're just recording yourself talking and people think that's a really weird concept. And so I did for a while think it was strange. Like why would I want to watch someone else play video games? But I did uh, look back at one of the streams that you did just within the last few days as of this recording. And uh, it is really interesting because like you're there and you're, you're interacting with the people who are, who are chatting in the, cause there's a little chat box on the side and it's, I mean, I don't necessarily play video games, so maybe you were just doing like whatever video game people do, but I know you were, you were saying certain things like as you were going through, you're like, oh, I like to, I like to pick up these weapons or I like to mm-hmm. do this. I like to check out certain stuff. So I actually found that really interesting. So I really like that. I will be checking out more of your Twitch streams and I think everybody else should as well. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm if you notice from the podcast, I am very intricate but when i play certain games i do take things uh you know i like to give different tips and ideas that have worked for me and i like i said anyone that snaps in my chat i like to talk to people about every anything i'm into a lot of different stuff i'm into martial arts and other tv shows and uh, you know on top of lost um i'm into wrestling like we were saying earlier so you know even if it's not on on stream and you want to talk to me live or you just want to hit me up on twitter instagram we'll talk about stuff or you know become friends by all means come check me out i'm a very friendly person i'd love to meet some more of you guys uh and as always you can find us on clock shelves on twitter instagram facebook all that stuff at clock shelves c-l-o-c-k-s-h-e-l-v-e-s pat thank you so much for being on the show it was awesome talking with you you are invited back anytime you would like thank you so much man i appreciate it. it was a lot of fun And I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck.
Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends.